Hello and welcome to all our listeners. We're so happy to welcome you back to a new year and back to the Capel Podcast, where you can get insights from Capel on navigating recent trends in the business world. I'm your host, Mark Lee, and today we have with us Dr. Yi Lai Fong, an associate consultant with Capel Consulting, to share with us about the power of organizational learning. Hi, Lai Fong. Great to have you here with us. Hello, Mark. Thank you for your invitation. I appreciate this opportunity to share. So good to have you here, Lifeong. And uh, you know, COVID-19 has really been a wake-up call for us in terms of how our global ecosystem has really been affected in terms of many assumptions in the way we operate and we do things. And in particular, for organizations, they are looking at all these disruptions, Lifeong, and asking, how can they use that to their benefit? So I'm wondering if you have thoughts for us on that. Indeed, I must say that the global pandemic has definitely taught us deep lessons mm. in the language of organizational learning. We are talking about lessons on systems thinking. How might we learn to see how interconnected our world is, mm-hmm. and even challenging our mental models practically in every facet of our lives: the way we live, the way we work. The way we interact with our friends, yep. much like pressing the reset button mm. in the operating system. Yeah, so I picked up a couple of things from what you just said there, Lifeong. You know, you mentioned things about learning, you mentioned things about adapting, and I'm really wondering, you know, how do organizations take these rather conceptual thought pieces of you know learning and progressing, especially in a space of disruption, and really make it work for themselves? I would say that let us revisit the definition of a learning organization mm-hmm. to help us gain some clarity on that. I'm sure you heard of Peter Senge, the one behind the book The Fifth Discipline.、Mm. He's the one who came up with the most inspiring definition of a learning organization. So I would say this is a definition that is most timely for us to re- revisit.、Mm-hmm. According to Peter Senge, a learning organization. Is a place where people continually expand their capacity to create the results they truly desire.、Mm. And I must say that as we move forward to the new year, how might that broader capacity expand the way we think about our future to set free that higher order collective aspirations that we have? I think that's a really a powerful definition that you are providing for us, Lifeong. Where you mentioned things about patterns of thinking being nurtured, collective aspiration being freed up, and I wonder how my organizations begin to take some steps in this direction because those still seem like pretty big ideas that you just mentioned. <laughs> I agree. So the field of organizational learning can be quite dense,、mm. but let me break it down. Into two aspects.、Mm-hmm. Firstly, let us think about how might we develop adaptive capacity, and secondly, how might we develop anticipatory capacity.、Mm. So, just on on those two points, adaptive as well as anticipatory capacity. It sounds like you might be sharing with us number one how to well adapt, right? So that means the present situation, and then secondly, anticipate. Would that be right to say like a future outlook that we are going to be. Considering as well, exactly because if、mm. you look at the environment we operate in today, we can't plan with certainty, right? What will happen in the next three years, five years, not even one year, yes, or even six months. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, let us think about this term, adaptive capacity. 
what does it mean for organisations to develop that? Let me start off by citing this quote by Professor Ingerstrom. Mm-hmm. He's Professor of Adult Education at University of Helsinki. So this is one phrase that stood out for me over the years. He said, people and organisations are all the time learning something that is not stable, not even defined or understood ahead of time. They are literally learned as they are being created. So as I was connecting back to some of the work that we currently do in Capel, I can mm. totally relate to that. <laughs> yes, very much so. I think that the question here for maybe many of our listeners and back it's you know going through my mind right now, like always, how do we have a sense of maybe stability or assurance that even as we are learning and working through such times of uncertainty that you know the efforts and energies that we are investing are are really worth it in that sense. How do we know because There's just so much uncertainty that we have to deal with, but at the same time, we're balancing that with the practicalities of I only have limited energy and resources to apply to whichever solutions I choose to pursue. Exactly. I would say we are talking about learning that is generated versus learning that is already defined, mm. ready to be delivered to our learners. Mm. Engelstrom would call this vertical versus horizontal forms of learning. So traditionally, those of us in the training business will relate to learning as training, right? Mm. Where training aims at developing the competency levels of individuals. But if we look at horizontal levels of learning, we can be bringing people from various parts of the organizations coming together to co-create stuff and mm. generate learning. Along the way, I see. So it really sounds like, in some sense, there's no real guarantee, actually, right? That you know where you apply your resources and your capacities will produce an optimal outcome. But I think what you're helping us to imagine really is that there's a type of development that isn't just about vertical or very narrow competency development, but thinking a bit more broadly, you use the term horizontal learning to say, well, how can we bring about different perspectives? Maybe even on the same issue, and then gather an outcome that's really more the sum of its parts, right? So you talk about different stakeholders coming in to really help produce a better outcome. Perhaps I give an example mm. in the application of such horizontal form of learning. One example is design thinking. Yes, yeah. Many organizations are currently, even in the organization development space, are starting to think about using design thinking to gather insights from users or employees. Mm-hmm. And we may not have a ready solution in front of us, but through experimentation and prototyping, we generate that learning, refine those ideas. But most importantly, learning by hearing the voices from a multitude of stakeholders. Mm. Let me link it back to the project that we're doing right now in Capel. Sure. So I'm privileged right now this season to be part of the team in Capel, working with the non-profit sector, and we are using methodology close to the design thinking approach, where we are looking at productivity and digital transformation. Mm. So as you know, there are so many digital solutions out there. We do not just pluck something from the shelf and assume that it will fit. So how might we bring in? A multitude of stakeholders. So, in the non-profit sector, we could be talking about policymakers, mm-hmm. charities, social work professionals, tech solution developers, donors, volunteers, even clients. Wow. Right? <laughs> That's quite a list there. Exactly. One example is like an online chatbot that we are thinking about because with mental health issues, 
family disputes and all kinds of social issues cropping up, how might technology like an online chatbot or artificial intelligence complement the work of the high-touch work of a social worker? Mm. So these are some of the examples that we are experimenting with and generating learning along the way. Yeah, I think that's really an intriguing phrase that, you know, I myself will walk away on the moron and I'm sure many of our listeners will too, you know, this thing about generative learning. I think that really moves us into a space where the kind of solutions or even the outcomes that we are working towards are not 100% known, right? So we're not kind of locking ourselves in to say this has to be the optimal solution. Of course, we still hold ourselves to very high standards of you know researching, prototyping, and testing, but we allow ourselves a certain openness, say what are we learning along the way, and then how can we move to an outcome that takes into account really all the learning and insights that you gather as part of the journey. And I think that's in some sense maybe causes a little bit of anxiety, I would imagine, for some of us to not work towards something so clearly defined. But I think at the end of the journey, or maybe throughout the journey, you, you have little reassurances that you're really meeting, as you mentioned, the various stakeholder voices that have been raised, the various needs that have been surfaced. And so the final product or outcome is taking into account those various voices. So I think that's very powerful. Yeah, exactly. Great. And I think that helps us really end on a very powerful note with regards to the adaptive capacity. Uh, maybe now you can move us to what you mentioned earlier about anticipatory capacity. So that ability to have foresight into the future, I would imagine. Yeah, exactly. Why I'm bringing in anticipatory capacity? Because we are talking about so much disruption, even blurring of industry lines, right? How might we reimagine our business models? So I would define anticipatory capacity as the ability to learn from the future mm. as it emerges. One example is the application of future thinking. How do we therefore have that discipline to scan the environment, to even look beyond the industries that we are operating, to look up for emerging trends and drivers that could eventually shape and define that new business model. Yeah, I think that's a really a very powerful tool for any organizational development to take place, which is the ability to scan the horizon and say, you know, what's coming up? How can we stay ahead of the curve? And I think the question on many of our minds that might fall is, well, when's the best time to do that? I mean, it sounds like when we do, say, our annual strategic planning, that's the best time to do it, isn't it? Well, as we said earlier in our conversation, right, with so much uncertainty, we can't plan the way we used to when we do strategic planning, looking mm. ahead in the next three to five years. But how might we take in some of these emerging trends? And most importantly, bringing in the voices of multiple stakeholders, even those beyond our industry, to look beyond what we are familiar with mm -hmm. and uh, suspend our limiting beliefs and be able to see a future that is far more exciting and uh, generative that we could imagine. Mm. Let me give you an example. I'm sure you heard of AT&T, right? Yes. So I've been following the work of the Institute for the Future, which is IFTF in short. Mm -hmm. You can look up that website. So I found out recently that uh, back in 2018, AT&T was already collaborating with IFTF to look at the future of entertainment. Well, I'm sure, Mark, you will enjoy some of these elements <laughs> in this research, right? I'm excited to hear what you're going to share with us. So I'm sure you yeah. play games. Yeah. You go into a virtual reality 
So here we are talking about back in 2018, AT&T, IFTF were already even looking at integrating adjacent and intersecting areas of immersive media, artificial intelligence, mobile computing. And one of the ideas that stood out for me when I read their report was this notion of floating islands of imagination. Wow. So you can imagine perhaps in a few years time, I can invite you to join me at a virtual art gallery or even a virtual performance space, a virtual theme park. But the difference is the experience is designed by ourselves. So you and I become authors and we create those shareable experiences. So that is truly redefining the future of entertainment. Wow, you know, that's that's really fascinating, Lifehong, because I mean, this field of technology, I think many of us are, you know, really just starting to uncover, kind of scratch the surface of its possibilities. You know, makes me think of my own experiences with this, of course, outside of strictly business context, where, you know, the first time me and some peers actually experienced virtual reality, you know, you have one person with the headset on and everyone else is just looking at the guy and it's like, he, he looks funny, he looks a bit dumb. <laughs> you know? But the person with the, in the world is having, you know, a laugh. And then, you know, they take off the headset and they say, you have to try it. But the thing is, only really kind of one person can go in at a time. But I think what you're suggesting is there are organizations out there which are, like you mentioned, suspending limiting beliefs or looking to possibilities really about what it means to take some of these very powerful experiences and, and then just push the boundaries of what is really possible. So I think that's a really a very powerful story that you have right there, powerful example. Hopefully inspires all of us to really consider within our own spheres, what are those areas we can really build some of the more compelling experiences or break some of those boundaries to serve our stakeholders, to serve those around us with greater impact. Okay, and we're just about coming to our end of our time here, Life Also, I'd like to ask if you have some final food for thought for our listeners, you know, some parting words of wisdom. Thank you, Mark. Well, I wish we had more time too. Sure. As parting words, perhaps let's bring ourselves back to introspective awareness. Mm. I would like to bring in this notion of standing in inquiry. Mm. So I learned this term when I was taking a program at the Human Systems Dynamics Institute. So it reminded me that before we talk about organizational learning, let us on our own develop that personal discipline Mm. for inquiry. And there are four behaviours that I would like to put forth to our listener. The first is turn judgement into curiosity, turn conflict into shared exploration, Mm. turn defensiveness into self-reflection, and lastly, turn assumptions into questions. Wow. You know, each of those are really meaty food for thoughts, life forms. So perhaps one more time for our listeners, judgement into curiosity, conflict into shared exploration, defensiveness into self-reflection, and assumption into question. I think each of those are really wonderful tracks for us to run on because it's both on an individual level, we can start practicing it already, but you can imagine on an organizational level, if that's incorporated into your culture, into your processes, just the kind of impact that will have on the learning of the organization and that generative learning in particular. That's really wonderful. Thank you so much, Lifehome, for helping us end up on that note. And thank you to all our listeners. We hope that you're inspired by what you've heard here on the Compel podcast on how generative learning can help you and your organization transform. Join us again on our next episode in a few weeks' time. 
on change management in digitalization. Thank you, and we look forward to having you join us on the next Capel Podcast. Goodbye.